This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. We are in the middle of a series called Provision. And on the back of your bulletin, if you so choose, you can take notes. There's an outline that will help organize what I think the Lord wants to say today. Last week, we talked about Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac, but God looked ahead and provided an alternative, provided the ram in the thicket because he revealed his name there as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And if you look at that, he's the God who sees ahead of what we need and provides for us even before we ask. Asking is still good because that's part of our faith. We need to ask, but God is looking ahead because that's who his character is. And he's providing for you. Today we want to pick up the same theme. Today's message is called provision in the famine. Provision in the famine. And that is exactly what happened in this story. A famine came to the land of Palestine. And all of a sudden Elijah appears out of nowhere in the scripture. Elijah was a great prophet of God man of God. In fact, John the Baptist, when he came in the spirit of Elijah to proclaim Jesus coming because Elijah meant so much in the plan of God and how he spoke to his people. But here in chapter 17 is when Elijah appears and you can read the passage with me starting in verse one. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Galead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain In the next few years, except at my word. Verse 2, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Raven, Raven, excuse me, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook. Now watch this next phrase, because this is the phrase that's just really sticking out in my spirit today. And I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. I want you to think about that. And I have ordered the ravens. To feed you there. Verse 5. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Raven east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Seven. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that this story that was so real to the characters involved would be real to us today. It would bring us life. It would bring us encouragement. And most of all, more than anything, Lord, we ask that we would look to you. We would look to what you want for us. We would look to what you have for us, God. We would look to your character and we would know, God, that you are the God who provides. And the same God who provided for Elijah is the same God who's going to provide for us right now in the year 2010. You haven't changed, Lord, and so we trust that you're going to do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When Elijah came and he said, it's not going to rain until I say so, this was a major economic shakedown. Because this was an agrarian society where everything depended upon rain. When there was not rain and the crops didn't grow, then the whole economic system was in peril. In fact, this is called 
provision in the famine, but maybe you want to call it provision in the recession. Because in ancient Israel, this was a recession, a depression, whatever you want to name it. The fact was this, is people were going to hurt economically because there was no rain. But this was not just the man of God and God being cruel or being mean. They were challenging another God. Because Ahab and his kingdom served a God named Baal. And Baal was a God that they believed they attributed rain and dew and moisture from. So they would pray to this, as we know, false God named Baal. And they would depend upon Baal to be the one that was going to provide for them the rain and be the one who was going to provide for them economic prosperity. And so it was as God's people were intermingling with people that served other gods, God's people were beginning to depend upon another God besides the God we serve and the one true God. For we know this is there are not many gods. There is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That is what the, the people of God have recited to each other for centuries and years. There is one God. There is not many ways to God. There is one God. He has a very distinct personality. He has a very distinct character. His name means something very clearly. So there is no confusion here. There is just one God. Here's some lessons that we learn when, there was, when famine happens. Excuse me, for provision in the famine or in the recession. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. Famine challenges which God or God we trust. Famine challenges which God or God that we trust. You know, in every story has to have some basic components to it. And I'm not going to talk about what all those components are, but I will point out this, is that in every story... There is a need for a hero, and there is a need for a villain. And we as people, we always have a need for those things in our life. And that's why a lot of times we don't blame ourselves for the predicament we're in or for the choices we make. We have to find someone else to blame. So we begin to blame our leaders, and our leaders sometimes deserve blame, and they need to be held accountable. But there's sometimes that... We don't look at what we've done. We, we, we want to cast that blame on somebody else. And one of the greatest, greatest opportunities you have in a famine, and the greatest, one of the greatest opportunities you have in a recession, is your choice of what role God is going to play in your life. Is he going to be the one you look to and trust? Or is he going to be the one you blame? Is he going to be the one you depend upon? Or is he going to be the one... That you turn against because you are writing your own story. And you get to decide through your attitude and through your faith and through your actions what role God's going to play. He's given you that choice. And in the middle of the famine, you have a choice. Who are you going to trust? Because this particular famine that we read about in 1 Kings 17 was challenging the God of that age. And it was challenging this false God. Now, you might say right now, well, Aaron, that's not an issue with me. I don't have a false God in my life. I serve Jesus. I've served Jesus. There's no doubt about that. Well, I want to point out a God that you probably don't realize that 
many, many Americans are serving. I want you to turn to Luke 16. And as you're turning there, Luke chapter 16, I want to tell you a little bit more about Elijah. Elijah appeared on the scene and he had a name that meant something. His name means this. The Lord is my God. The Lord is my God. When he said the word Lord, he means Yeshua or Yahweh. This God with a very particular personality and history. Yahweh is my God. Elijah's very name, when he showed up and he said, It's not going to rain until I speak. He said that because his very name said the Lord, Yeshua, this very particular God is my God. And he is going to show that he's in control, not this false God named Baal, this false God that you think is in charge of moisture and rain and the dew. No, when I speak, Elijah, my name means the Lord, Yeshua is my God. When I speak, then it's going to rain. So the big battle is set up. Now, let me ask you about the battle in your life because some of you don't even realize that you have a tendency to worship a false god. And you're about to see this right now. Luke 16.4 says it this way. It says, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, this is just good wisdom Jesus is giving. But then Jesus gets very specific. And look at that last line in verse 13 that says, You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, some of you grew up and you heard the scripture in the King James Version, and I want us to look at that right now or look at the New King James Version. You can read it on the screen with me. It says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. Now, here God, Jesus gets specific again. This is the same scripture, just a different wording. It says, You cannot serve God and mammon. I wanted you to see that word mammon because that word gives us even a greater understanding of what Jesus was trying to say. It was more than just money or currency, even though that, that, that is part of the meaning. But the word mammon in the Aramaic language means wealth. So Jesus said here, you cannot worship or serve both God and worship and serve wealth. And one of the great challenges for us as Western people in a progressive society, in a society that has access to wealth, because even though we might be struggling with some of our bills right now and the values of our home and all that type of stuff, we are truly wealthy. And one of the struggles we have is that we might not even realize that we are worshiping the wrong God. We're not worshiping the God that has a real particular personality and a very, a very uh, specific name. We're worshiping money. We're worshiping wealth. And we're worshiping this idea of wealth. And we forgot that it is God who gives us the power to have wealth. It is God who blesses us and prospers us and gives us wealth. And instead, we don't even realize that, that very subtly we are worshiping wealth itself instead of the God who provides wealth for us. It's a great, great danger that we have. But the drought, the famine, the recession, the economic downturn gives you a great chance to realize who your God really is. 
Because if you are depending upon wealth and you're depending on the power of your bank accounts and the power of your stocks and the power of your ability to turn another deal and the power of your ability just to get some more money, if that's what you're relying upon, when that is gone, then your relationship with God is totally shaken. But if you realize it is not, it is not that which your that strength comes from, it is not the power of mammon, it's the power of God. See, mammon, the reason I use that word, wealth has a spirit behind it. And it has something that if it's not submitted to God, it will overtake your life. If you, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with having money at all. But when it becomes the focus of your life, and it becomes your security, and it becomes your priority, and it becomes your attention, then it becomes your God. And sometimes in the Christian church, we even use Christian language to worship this God of mammon, and we don't even realize it. And it can become our God, but there's a better way of life, that God is truly the source. It's His character. It's who He is. He is the provision. And in the famine, in the challenging times, we get to pass that test. You know, I love to play pickup basketball, not very good at basketball, but I enjoy playing it nonetheless. And a couple of weeks ago, we were at Pastor David's house. It was the sixth grade parent-student dinner. And we were dressed for a Saturday night dinner, but Pastor David has on his back patio a basketball goal. Before you knew it, even though we were supposed to be there for other purposes, the dads and the kids were playing basketball and we showed no mercy on these sixth graders. I mean, they needed to be humbled. And so the dads, uh, it was pretty violent out there, the game. But uh, as we begin to play, a scenario happened that I'm finding happens more and more as I get older. It went something like this. The scenario went something like this. We, we decide, hey, let's play the first one to 20. Whoever gets to 21st wins the game. But around the score being 8 to 8, all of a sudden, 20 seems a long ways away. And for whatever reason, the older I get, the tireder I get, and the hotter it is, I want to propose new rules. How about the first one to 15? And everybody agrees. And I don't know what the correlation is. The older I get, the shorter I want the games to go. But for some reason, it's like that. Now, whenever you're leading a group, this is one of the most important things to ever know, that you can make a list of rules for any group you're leading, but there's only one rule that's the most important rule ever. Rules can be changed or added at any time. That's the most important rule to have. So if you're playing a pickup basketball game, you're tired, you don't want to play the 20, let's change the rules and go to 15. You're with a group of people, you don't see if we're seeing, you're leading them, you don't see a circumstance happen, you change the rules. It's the most important rule to happen. And that's exactly what happens when you're in the middle of a famine. The rules begin to change. I want you to write number two down is this is that famine changes the old rules. Famine changes the old rules. You can write this passage down. There's no need to look, look at it right now, but Leviticus 11.15. Leviticus 11.15. This is one of the most unexciting verses in the Bible. It says this. It says, any kind of raven. 
What that is in that passage, there's a list of a whole bunch of birds that God said are unclean. Eagle, vulture, black vulture, black kite, and any kind of raven. God said these are unclean birds that you are not supposed to eat. So in a religious society that Elijah was in, when God said don't eat this bird, people said we're just going to play it safe and we're going to have nothing to do with this unclean bird. Nothing to do with it at all. And that's exactly what the mindset of Elijah's day was. Let's totally, totally not have anything to do with a raven. Because God said that raven is unclean and we're not to eat it. So we're not even going to have anything to do. They would not be Baltimore Raven fans. And that is the will of God for no one to be a Baltimore Raven fan. So that's an evil team from the devil himself. So... Here it was that God said, don't touch the raven. But then look at verse 4 again. I want you to look at the end of verse 4. And it's a phrase that is in our hearts today. I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Go to this particular brook, this this particular stream, and I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. See, God used something unexpected Twice a day, these ravens would fly in, or a raven, fly in and feed Elijah. And I want you to know something, that in the middle of a famine, in the middle of a challenge, if you are God's son or daughter, and you're speaking the words of God, that he is going to take care of you. He's going to feed you. He's going to make sure you're at the right place. He told Elijah, I want you to go to this particular brook, because at this particular brook, at this exact place, I'm going to send a raven, I'm going to feed you there. And in challenging times, God might take you to a place you've never been before. And he might take you to a place that's unusual for you. And then at that place, you might have experiences you've never had before that break the old rules. But God hasn't changed, and he's still providing for you even when it looks completely different. For some of you, the rules have changed on you in these last few years. Things you used to rely on for your provision, you can't rely upon anymore. Maybe for you it used to be that every year a certain client would come through and you knew that bonus would come at a certain time of year. Maybe for some of you, you had a degree that you thought with this degree, I'll always be able to get a job. But now that degree doesn't seem as useful as it once was. Maybe you were part of an industry that once used to seem like it would never change and always be great to be a part of. Now it's much different. In the late 90s, Beth, my wife, she worked for the telecommunication industry. And we thought, wow, what a great industry to be in. We were getting stock options. And we thought people are going to be talking long distance on the phone forever. Surely they'll do that. And what a great, great job for her to have. And nowadays we are finding out that people are not even using their phones to talk anymore. Very little. They're texting and surfing and That whole industry has changed. Remember when we used to actually use phone books? Now I open the door and I'm like, no, not another phone book. (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get rid of those things as fast as I can. I'm sure a few years ago it had been great to be in sales for phone books and ads. And now that has totally changed. So some of you, you relied, you thought you could always rely on this type of job and... Now it's changed. 
and the rules have changed on you. Some of you, it might not be money. It might be relationally. You've always depended upon a certain person or a certain type of relationship to give you the emotional support you need, to sustain you, and all of a sudden that person has left your life or that person has changed and you don't have that emotional support that you used to have. God might be saying to you this, yes, the rules have changed, but I want you to go to that certain brook and I want you to sit there and it might be a place you've never been before. You see, this brook, when you begin to study where it was and what it was, it was just a seasonal brook that when there was a lot of rain, the water would flow there. But God said, you go right there and the ravens are going to come feed you there. And you might be at a different place and the rules might have changed on you and provisions coming your way from a different source than you ever expected. But can I just tell you that it's not the source, it's not what the provision is, it's who the source is anyway. That God might have put you at a different place and He might be showing you a different way, but He's still the same God. He's still the same God that's going to come through. Even though the rules have changed, His character hasn't changed. Even though the rule has changed, who He wants to be in your life has not changed, will not change. He's going to come through for you. He is going to provide for you because that is who He is. That is who His character is. He's Jehovah Jehovah the God who provides. Sometimes we forget that. And maybe a scenario goes something like this. A lot of us get paid on the 15th of the month. And so we begin to anticipate the 15th day of the month. We begin to look forward to the 15th day of the month. In fact, we begin to speak about the 15th day of the month with reverence, like this, Friday is the 15th of the month. And because the 15th of the month becomes such a special day to us, we begin to just write the number 15 in different places. Just put the number 15 around on our walls and put the number 15 on our dashboard. And we just love the 15th of the month. It's a sacred day. The 15th day of the month is great. In fact, we begin to confess the 15th day of the month and say, I can't wait to the 15th day of the month because I believe in the 15th. And God comes through on the 15th day of the month. And the 15th day of the month is special to me. And before we know it, we find a book that's titled The 15th Day of the Month, God's Key to Breakthrough. Then we put a bumper sticker that says, I'm a 15th day of the month bona fide Christian. And we are just 15th day of the month. Hallelujah for the 15th day of the month. Woohoo! 15th day of the month. And then the 15th day of the month comes, and there's no paycheck. And all of a sudden, God, instead of being our hero, becomes our villain. We're like, why did God not come through on the 15th day of the month? Here's the reason why. Because we forget that it's not the 15th day of the month that is our source. It's the boss who writes the check. And it's up to him. If he wants to write the check on the 14th or the 16th, it's his prerogative because he is in charge. He is the one in charge. I want you to write this third point down. It's this, is that in the famine, we learn that the famine points us to the provider, not the provision points us to the provider, not to the provision. You know, I went to the dentist one time and 
I left. The, the lady that worked on the counter knew who I was, and she's a great lady. And we were going over the bill, and it ended up that I did not owe as much money as I thought I did. So she said something that was, that was very well-meaning, and I actually agree with what she said. But it just hit me kind of the wrong way. We went over the bill, and she looked up, and she said, Hey, that tithing stuff works. And I said, Yeah, it does. And that's a true statement, because when you give what belongs to the Lord, He does bless you. But it just felt wrong, because it felt like some kind of scientific experiment, or some kind of contract. And while we can choose that path, and say, yeah, that tithing stuff works. Let's not forget, it's not about the provision, it's about the provider. Because what it means is more than just the tithing stuff works. It means there is a God full of love, full of grace, full of generosity, who loves to bless us and loves to provide for us. There is a God who's adopted us into His family. And we're no longer servants, but we're sons and we're daughters. And any good father is going to provide what his children need. He cares for you. And He's looking ahead. He has more wisdom than you do. And He knows exactly what you need, when you need it. And He loves you so much that even when you do make a mistake, and even when you do put too much on your credit card, or maybe you you mismanage your bills and your tithe stuff is messed up, or maybe you can't be as generous as you want to be, He's not going to punish you forever. He's a loving God that says that's okay. You You can walk in repentance. You can change because I love you and I want to provide for you. God is not looking for a way to get out of the contract. You understand? He's not like, oh, cool, I don't have to bless them anymore. (laughs) No, he's saying, I want to bless them because that's who I am. That's my character. That's my provision. I am the one that's going to provide for them. And here's the great thing is God has commanded the ravens to feed you in the wilderness. He's commanded the ravens to feed you. You don't even realize that right now that something's going to come your way that you don't even know. God's sending something your way. He's sending something your way because He loves you and He wants the best for you. Would you stand with me? Isn't this a great God that we serve? At the end of the last verse, verse 14, excuse me, verse uh, 7 said, Sometime later, The brook dried up because there had been no rain. We'll find out next week that when the brook dried up, God sent Elijah to a new place. He sent him to a widow, and we'll talk about that next week. But I want want you to know this. Some of you have been at a place where the brook has dried up. And you need to hear this today. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that God's not punishing you. God is punishing you. It might mean that He is letting the brook dry up. Because it's time to move you somewhere else where you're going to be even more of a blessing. There's a miracle ahead of you. There's a miracle. The chapter isn't over. Right? So it's not over in your life. There's a miracle. There's something that God's up to. It's greater than what you can see. It's greater than what you can imagine. Because it's who He is and it's His character. And He wants to show Himself. Can we sing together? This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information. 